everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. I don't like to brag, but I recently came into possession of a advent calendar filled with one-ounce glass jars of only slightly expired jams and preserves. So, I'm doing pretty good. As you can probably imagine, this bounty has had some pretty significant effects on my life. One, I am eating a lot more English muffins or, as the English call them, lorries. And B, I find myself having a lot more sympathy for Silver Age the Atom villains. Because I get it, man. I love these tiny glass jars, but there's just not that many uses for them. So, I like to imagine that I could resist the impulse, but if a tiny little guy came along... I can kind of understand wanting to jam him into one of those tiny little jars. Be pretty satisfying. I think that'd be a pretty compelling supervillain origin story. Just, I I had these tiny glass jars. What are you going to do? It was either that, artisanal weed dealer, or make a series of solves and ungeons. And frankly, those two words are just too difficult to say. So I decided to start a long-standing feud with a tiny little super guy. In retrospect, yes, I could have just recycled the jars. But they're so cute! Anyway, that's enough of that nonsense. Let's get into some different nonsense. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Douglas Rondo. Reed Richards was Sue's spouse. Jean Grey was Cyclopses. Val doesn't want you, Jack. Hub, read the synopsis. Thanks, Douglas. Defenders, number 52. October, 1977. Defender of the Realm. Written by David Anthony Kraft. Drotted by Keith Giffen. Inked by Chick Stone. Lettered by Denise Wall. Colored by Don Warfield. And edited by Archie Goodwin. Defensive lineup, Valkyrie, Hellcat, Nighthawk, The Incredible Hulk, and Namor the Submariner. Hooray! Previously in the Defenders. An indeterminate but likely significant amount of comic book time ago, Namor the Submariner quit the Defenders to return to his undersea realm and rededicate himself to his role as the ruler of Atlantis. Unlike the previous hundred or so times the subaquatic sovereign had stormed off angrily, this resignation seemed to stick. More recently, Dr. Tanya Belinsky, aka the swashbuckling Soviet superhero the Red Guardian, had also tendered her resignation from our titular non-team. Unknown agents had blackmailed the crimson-clad communist crime fighter and threatened that if she did not return to the USSR post-haste, her family would suffer severe consequences. Reluctantly, Dr. Belinsky capitulated to her mysterious extortionist's demands. She returned to Moscow and was picked up at the airport by a shady chauffeur she assumed worked for the KGB. The dubious driver soon disabused her of this notion, revealing that he was employed by a secret organization unknown to any government agencies, known simply as Codename Sergei. 
While her former teammates were otherwise occupied in their respective home countries, Valkyrie had embarked on an adventure of her own. The sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger had enrolled in college at Empire State University. The unearthly undergrad had just suffered through a particularly stressful registration process when a pair of peculiar film students named Dollar Bill and Ledge offered to accompany the anxious Asgardian to a double feature. Never having seen a movie before, Valkyrie agreed to go. Gadzooks! Who or what is codename Sergey? Will matrimonially-minded meathead Jack Norris meddle with Valkyrie's matriculation? And has his time away from the Defenders softened Namor's disposition towards the non-team? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... A weirdo in a yellow and purple robe. Nope. He's too busy with his new job as the world's shittiest spy. And... After being reminded, he eventually acknowledges remembering that he was once part of the team, so maybe? It's a typical bustling day on Park Avenue in Manhattan, when all of the sudden, Namor, clad in his finest Speedo and Dracula cape, starts strolling regally down the middle of the street, with all the oblivious arrogance of the wealthy matriarch on a soap opera. Come to think of it, given Namor's unique lifestyle and flair for the dramatic, he probably thinks of soap operas as those TV shows where people of slightly below average attractiveness behave normally and suffer from perfectly reasonable amounts of amnesia. The Atlantean immediately attracts crowds of reporters and police officers, which seems reasonable seeing as the amphibious monarch has a somewhat complicated relationship with the city of New York. It's not that dissimilar to the one between Godzilla and Tokyo. You see the guy walking down the street, you're not sure what to expect. Sometimes he destroys the city, sometimes he saves it, and sometimes he just plays basketball against Charles Barkley. You always hope it's the third option, but you prepare for the first. The Hulk is leaping over the city when he sees his old buddy Namor surrounded by a throng of onlookers. Hulk worries that the cops might try to attack his aquatic amigo, so he jumps down to see if he can lend a hand. The Green Goliath approaches his former comrade-in-arms, but the Submariner tells Hulk he is too busy to talk, and dismissively shoves the bounding behemoth aside. Yeah, that goes over about as well as you might expect. The inevitable misunderstanding-induced superhero fight ensues. As he punches his emerald adversary, Namor thinks to himself that he really doesn't have time for this skirmish. The abdominally advanced Avenger had come to the city because Atlantis was in danger, and he was prepared to put his pride aside and ask for the assistance of the Fantastic Four. Well, Namor may have been willing to put his pride aside, but unfortunately for the architecture of the Big Apple, his arrogance and dismissiveness were still very much at the forefront. He and the Hulk beat the shit out of each other and smash much of the financial district in the process. Hooray! Okay, the circumstances aren't ideal, but I'm just happy to see Namor again. Meanwhile, in Russia, Dr. Tanya Belinsky is escorted to the hidden underground lair that houses the mysterious codename Sergei. Her guide informs her that the project's namesake, Sergei, is the most powerful man in the USSR, and his activities are a secret from everyone in the government. The extent of Sergei's power is corroborated by the base's elaborate and technologically stupefying appearance. Tanya's escort, who is now accompanied by a group of guards wearing hooded cloaks, hands her a familiar-looking scarlet bodysuit and informs her that her host has requested that she change into her superhero duds. 
Belinsky steps into a changing room and complies with the request, noting as she does so that the outfit she has been provided with does not include its customary cowl. Hmm. When she emerges from the dressing room in all her sartorially scarlet splendor, the Red Guardian informs her captors that she is sick of their shit and starts beating the borscht out of the robed Russian reprobates. Hooray! Unfortunately, the Vermilion Vigilante's vengeance is short-lived. One of the cloaked creeps sneaks up behind her and jams one of the hoods they're all wearing over her head. Turns out to be a mind-control device. Shitty. With her free will thoroughly subsumed by her new high-tech hat, Tanya is outfitted with a radiation-proof robe and is ushered into the presence of the infamous Sergei. Turns out, Sergei is a creepy douche in a yellow and purple robe. The complimentary color-clad creep is seated at a console that is tricked out with what looks like a bunch of Casio keyboards. The Soviet synthesizer enthusiast greets his mind-controlled guest and informs her that he is a big fan of her exploits as the Red Guardian, even though he thinks her idealism is silly. That's why he chose her for this project. He wants her to be his mate. Gross. Unless he's using it in the British way? And he just wants to go have a few pints with her down at the pub? Nah, he means it in the gross way. Gross. I guess Sergei's been doing a bunch of nuclear stuff for a while, and now he's super duper radioactive and is dying from the radiation poisoning. But, in true supervillain fashion, he has a ridiculous nonsensical plan that is both vague and elaborate. First, he and Tanya are going to get even more radioactive over the next few weeks, and then he is going to blow up Europe with a nuclear bomb that will somehow give the two of them superpowers and will cure his disease. Sergei, I'm going to give you a little tip. Any plan that involves standing in the middle of a nuclear explosion is a bad plan. Back in New York, Namor and the Hulk continue punching the shit out of each other, not so subtly altering the city's skyline as they do so. At one point, Namor remembers that he can channel the powers of electric eels sometimes, if he feels like it. So, he does that. The Hulk is unimpressed. I was pretty impressed, though. Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat, is visiting billionaire-do-well burn enthusiast Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, for lunch, when the two heroes hear reports of the cataclysmic kerfuffle happening downtown. They hop in Kyle's car and skedaddle to the scene of the scuffle, donning their do-gooding duds as they do so. After crashing their vehicle into a parking meter for no apparent reason, Nighthawk and Hellcat emerge to find the titanic tussle still underway. Reluctantly, the pair of protagonists prepare themselves to enter the fray to attempt to dissuade their irascible colleagues from doing further damage to their environs. Meanwhile, at a movie theater in nearby Chelsea, Valkyrie is enjoying her first film-going experience. Or at least she's trying to. The sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger was spellbound by the celluloid spectacular of the silver screen, but her cinematic sojourn was soon spoiled. Some asshole was sitting right behind her, smoking a pipe, despite the fact that they were in the non-smoking section. What a jerk! Annoyed at the distraction, Valkyrie requested that the scofflaw stop smoking. He rudely declined to do so, so Val confiscated his pipe and crushed it in one hand. Hooray! The Asgardian undergrad's collegiate companions, Legend Dollar Bill, were less enthusiastic about Val's emphatic enforcement of etiquette. 
They recognized the pipe-smoking prick as Professor Turk, an influential member of the faculty at Empire State University. After the film, Val, Ledge, and Dollar Bill headed to a nearby donut shop for a post-cinematic snack. Before they had the chance to order, the trio was accosted by an annoyed Professor Turk. The asphyxiation-inducing academic asshole initially admonished Val for breaking his pipe, but when she refused to recognize any wrongdoing on her part, Turk abruptly switched gears, introduced himself, and conceded that she had acted appropriately. Weird. After this awkward introduction, Dollar Bill and Ledge discussed that there have been a series of bizarre incidents on campus recently involving a mysterious individual known as Lunatic, with a K. The mercurial professor seems oddly invested in this topic. Hmm. Back on Park Avenue, Hulk and Namor continue to beat each other up. Kyle and Patsy finally manage to intervene. When Kyle gets Namor's attention and is like, Hey, calm down! We're both defenders. Let's talk this out. Namor is like, What's a defender? Oh no. Is Namor once again suffering from one of his celebrated bouts of amnesia? Nope. Turns out he just plum forgot that the defenders were a thing, because I guess it just wasn't that important to him. Hooray! Now that is some peak Namor right there. When he finally recalls that, yes, he did in fact spend several years with, and was a founding member of, the Defenders, the last scion of Atlantis fills Nighthawk in on what brings him to New York. Turns out that someone in the USSR has been doing a whole bunch of secret nuclear tests in a hidden base deep underground, and now a whole section of the undersea kingdom of Atlantis is being poisoned with radioactivity and is totally inaccessible. Namor decided to see if any of the superheroes in New York could lend him a hand when he got waylaid by the Hulk and decided to destroy half the city instead. Whoopsie. Nighthawk is like, well, I'm pretty sure the Hulk is immune to radioactivity. Maybe he can help you out. I guess Hellcat must have managed to sing the Hulk a lullaby or something, because the Green Goliath ambles over sheepishly and is like, Hulk sorry about all the smashing. Despite fact that Fishman spurned Hulk's proffered friendship, and fact that Hulk hate water, Hulk will help. Damn. Whatever Patsy said to the Hulk sure did the trick. Nice work. That's like getting Namor to say, Surface-dwelling fools are pretty great after all, and you know what? I think I will put on a shirt. Let's hope it never comes to that. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am doing great. How are you? I am doing pretty well. Going on a big trip tomorrow, aren't you? I am going soon. Oh, it's not tomorrow. Day after tomorrow. Ah. Yes. Where are you headed? I am going to Italy and Germany and London and Iceland. Wow. Yes. You're skipping over France. Yes. That's too bad. I understand there's a place there. Oh, yeah? What place is that? It's, uh, it's where the naked ladies dance. <laughs> There's this hole in the wall there. Mm-hmm. You gotta check it out. <laughs> What'd you think of this comic book? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I was happy to see Namor back again at his Namorousness. Oh, man. Yeah, the first note that I have written is, Namor is the most Namory Namor! Yeah. Because he is Namor 
He ah. is not a person that handles stress well no. at all. It brings out what are the funniest, but also, if you were anybody around him, the worst parts of his persona. Yeah, I think that is probably true. Honestly, I'm kind of, it sounds like you were a little bit lukewarm on this issue. That kind of surprises me. I loved this issue. What wasn't hitting well for you in it? So, I was super happy to see Namor doing Namor. Mm -hmm. I was also just frustrated at this thing that always happens in pretty much every Defenders comic book, which is, you know, if people were a little bit less of a jerk and told other people what they were trying to do, uh, the comic book would be just way shorter and more to the point. Yeah. And less buildings would get destroyed. Poor communication leading to battles amongst superheroes is a not just Defenders-wide problem, that's pretty much superhero comics industry-wide. And I understand that, but I like the characters involved enough that it didn't bother me. I was just so happy to see Namor back and to see him interacting with the Hulk at all, and especially the way that they did. I thought it was handled in a really fun way. It was fun, but I feel like Hulk is consistently used as the vehicle for uh, setting up conflict or, you know, jokes or whatever, where he's like the butt of the joke, like, oh, somebody's going to be mean to Hulk and he's going to freak out. And I'm starting to feel bad for the big green guy. Okay, I think that's a fair reaction to to what has happened. Because he's all happy. He's like, oh, Fishman is my friend. I'm going to go make sure nobody beats him up. And then Fishman's like, fuck you. <laughs> he totally does. Hulk goes in for a greeting and Namor just like imperiously kind of backhands him aside. He's like, you're a, a baby. ensues. <laughs> or that's not what he says, but it's implied. Close enough. He says like, I don't have time for your childishness. Yeah. Which, I mean, Namor is definitely the one acting more childish at that point. He does a move that I once saw the comedian Paul F. Tompkins, who, of whom I am a big fan, mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. where somebody went in for a handshake, and he extended his hand as though he was going to shake their hand, but then used the back of his hand to Just push, push their away. hand away. <laughs> and it's so good. <laughs> I love that move, and I can totally see Namor doing that. It's a little less funny when you're on the receiving end, because I remember after you first learned that, you were trying it out kind of a lot. (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. So, the art team is a little bit different in this one. Mm -hmm. We have a different letterer, colorist, and inker. Mm -hmm. What'd you think of it? From the the lettering and, and the coloring, too, I felt like they were, like, Okay, let's turn this up, because the sound effects and the fight scenes were awesome. It was like, I hate to use the word cinematic talking about comics, Mm because it sounds kind of dumb, but the fight scenes were, were like, epic. I could imagine, like, the theater shaking with things blowing up and Namor getting smashed into vans and whatnot. It was really, really cool. The inking in particular, this was a guy named Chick Stone, and I feel like Keith Geffen is, to a certain extent with these past few issues, been living out a dream of his in a certain way, because Chick Stone was one of the inkers that Jack Kirby used a lot in the 60s, and he recently worked with Mike Royer, who was a Jack Kirby inker in the 70s, and so at this phase in his career, Giffen is going for a very stylized Jack Kirby look, and to have two of his most noteworthy inkers work on that Mm -hmm. and really bring that home... Like, the Hulk in this issue looks like 60s Jack Kirby Hulk. Super Kirby. Um, Yeah, Chick Stone was the guy who inked Kirby's early work on the X-Men and also did a pretty serious run on the Fantastic Four as well. Mm. And so, 
Yeah, there were a lot of panels where I was just like, oh, that's a Kirby panel, but it's a different era of Kirby panel than the Kirby panels we saw a couple of issues ago. And so I, th I thought that was really fun. And for somebody like Keith Giffen, who was doing the pencils, who was a big Kirby fan, I think that must have been really fun for him to see those aspects of his work brought out in that way. Yep, makes sense. It did lead to one kind of funny moment, which I don't know if this is what happened, but this is the way I explain this panel in my mind. We get a little bit inside of Project Sergey. We see Sergey set up and we meet him for the first time. And there is a scene where he is seated behind this console and there's all this technology around him. And there's also like 15 different keyboards, like musical keyboards. Mm-hmm. And what I'm wondering is, I know Chick Stone was an older guy. If maybe the word keyboard, keyboards. it said like, drop some <laughs> keyboards in front of him. And he was just like, okay, I don't know why, but here we go. That was the way I interpreted, because I couldn't think of another good reason why there were all of these like musical keyboards around him. I do think with the character, there is the potential that they're going for kind of a Phantom of the Opera vibe with him, mm. or given his mode of dress and his psychedelic surroundings, maybe more of a like abominable Dr. Fibes type vibe for him. Um, and the other possible explanation is in comic books, the go-to for Russian organizations, there's always ballet involved. So maybe it's a ballet theme. Yeah, it's pretty weird because in addition to the keyboards, there are these what look like the parts of the, the pipes of the pipe organ, uh -huh. but drawn a little bit in the shape of cooling stacks from nuclear plants. There's a lot going on in that design of those rooms, and mostly I really, really like it. I was trying to like be like, what is this shit? It is it down is... the rabbit hole, man. It is psychedelic weird stuff. Yeah, it's like... Willy Wonka by way of a blacklight poster that was drawn by David Cronenberg or something. Because, <laughs> like, there is this, like, a biotechnological, organic, computery stuff, but that's in these day-glow colors that is also, like, there's something kind of Willy Wonka-looking about it. Or, like, maybe, like, Fantastic Voyage or something, mm -hmm. like, where they're inside somebody's body or something. Yeah. Yes, like they consulted a bunch of artists, like H.R. Geiger was there, and he was like, not enough penises. <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah. his accent. But... Probably. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely his, his go-to quote. <laughs> Did you see the Batmobile that he designed for, I think, Batman Forever? Yeah. Wow. There's a documentary about him on, I don't know if it's on Netflix or some other thing. He's a weird dude, man. Yep. Or he was a weird dude. Yeah, he was one of those guys where it's just like, oh, yeah, that's what I would assume he was after seeing his art. Mm -hmm. I mean, as far as I know, he wasn't a murderous alien being from, like, the Clive Barker dimension. But other than that, he was who you would assume he would oh, be from yeah. seeing his art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, that was some weird design of, of Project Sergei. Sergei is a confusing character in a way to me because he's supposed to be a super science guy, but... I, okay, I'm not a nuclear psychologist or anything like wait, that. Wait, 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 you're not? But... Corey, I've seen your business cards. They say nuclear psychologist. That's just a... Oh, that's like a, uh, it's a... Rockford Files type thing where yeah, you yeah, print yeah. up different business cards. Yeah, too. don't worry about gotcha. any of that. Okay, sorry. But it just seems like what he says to, uh, by way, in, like, a perfectly reasonable, like, oh, Red Guardian, I'm glad that you're here because I kidnapped you and you're going to be my mate, and, um, I've got a sick body, you've got a sick mind, and, uh, we're gonna make a nuclear 
explosion together and become nuclear beings, which will solve that. How does she have a sick mind? Like, how did, because it says you have an incurable mind. Oh, maybe he was listening to that Operation Ivy single. Probably. Healthy body, sick mind. Too Working hectic. over time. Too hectic. <laughs> probably. That's probably it. Uh, was that was, he was trying to play that, that on yeah. the keyboards. That's why. Right. Yeah. Do you think he was just trying to learn that song or was he going for the whole energy EP? Oh, I don't think so. That's too ambitious. I mean. Is it? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> it's a good EP. It, it's a very good EP, but I do think if you learn one Operation Ivy song, you know all the Operation Ivy songs. Oh. Anyway, it seemed to me like a bad plan. Yeah, it does seem like a bad plan. And also, yeah, he describes her as having an incurable disease of the mind. Do you think that's his way of saying that she is too independent or too rebellious? Because she's perfectly healthy, and if she wasn't, she would know about it, because she's the world's foremost neurosurgeon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know, man. This uh, this Sergei guy seems like a real creepo. He's just talking shit. That's he what is. I think. And a uh, big clue. We can get to it in the sartorially speaking column, but uh, complimentary colors. Mm-hmm. Not a good sign. Golden purple. Purple purple. <laughs> yep. <laughs> is that how the old saying goes? Uh, Red mm-hmm. and white, up all night. Right. Blue and Lanyella yellow, kill a feller. Yellow and purple. Big stupid jerk hole. Ah. Huh? Pretty good. Yeah. Okay. So that's a handy mnemonic device for telling that Sergey is a big stupid jerk hole. (laughs) (laughs) You know how we were discussing earlier that it turns out you're not actually a nuclear psychologist? Right. Okay. I'm going to pretend to be a nuclear psychologist. Okay. And you pretend to be a nuclear reactor that has a psychological problem. Okay. So, Mr. Nuclear Reactor, yes. how are you doing today? I'm a little hot under the collar. Oh, you know what might work? Hmm. Have you tried going fishing? <laughs> so, what did you think of the Valkyrie storyline? I really liked the way that she dealt with the smoking jerk in the movie theater. I did, too. That guy seemed like such a jerk. Ah, the worst. Professorial jerk. Mm -hmm. Is there a worse kind? I did not care. No. For him. Nor did I. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he seemed like a real jerk. I did like, did you notice in the scene when they are watching the movie, they used a photo still from The Man Who Fell to Earth? Pretty cool. So, we got Harrison Ford, we got David Bowie, can pull off a fedora. Oh, yeah. There are a number of people who can pull off fedoras. Those are the None of them two. are alive today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Harrison Ford, I don't think now can pull off a fedora. Yeah, no, now it's probably got to be like a Panama hat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same shape. Pith helmet. Yeah, right. more appropriate mm-hmm. to uh, his elder statesman status. Indeed. Hmm. But with Val's storyline, there were a few things that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed her handling of... The professor, I thought that was rad. I loved how she just, you know, crushed the pipe. And then when the other dudes, Ledge and Dollar Bill, were like, do you know who that is? She's like, I have dealt with the matter. Yep. It was weird to see there be a smoking section of the movie theater. And just like it split in down the middle. Mm-hmm. Like half of you are going to want to smoke in this movie. Half of you aren't. You guys sit over here. And you know, the smoke will know to stay there. I had forgotten that that had been a thing. Yeah. I never smoked in a theater here in the U.S. Um, when I was in college, I was in, in Ecuador. 
And that was allowed. And I remember seeing, I think it was one of the Lord of the Rings movies, if those came out at that time. Yeah. But yeah, I remember drinking a canned rum and coke oh. and smoking a cigarette in a movie theater. Very cosmopolitan. Did it fuck with the screen image? It seems like it yeah, would be having could, that you much could smoke. Yeah, barely see a Like, it seems thing. like it would be projecting that on the side of the smoke, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was all fucked up. Yeah. Other people were doing it, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. I'm pleased to say I no longer do that, and that was a bad choice, so there's that. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, you don't want to be doing that. There's one or two ways that can go. Either Juliette Lewis and her dad end up having to kill you. What? Wait, what? Cape Fear. Oh, Okay. Mm-hmm. Or Val's going to crush your pipe. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a smoking pipe, I think she would have just crushed your windpipe. Bad news. Indeed. The other thing that I really liked from the Val storyline was I liked Ledge and Dollar Bill speculating as to the identity of Lunatic, who we don't know anything about other than he's a dude on campus and seems to be hinted at has some connection with Professor Turk. Has weird eyes. And has weird glassy eyes. And I liked that Ledge is just like, it's probably the Silver Surfer in disguise. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of just citizens of the Marvel Universe making these wild speculations on superheroes. I thought that was a really fun touch and it was cool. It was cool. I also like that they go to a donut shop after. I like that Ledge decided that Bill was going to buy him a donut since he was buying Val a donut. Yeah. I like this Ledge guy. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like if he hadn't been there, then Val would have really wanted someone to play that role. To just kind of innocently diffuse any of Dollar Bill's, like, attempts to hit on her. Mm-hmm. And I, I I really enjoy that. But yeah, Dollar Bill's like, come on, Val, I'll buy you any donut in the place. And Ledge is just like, I'll have a Bavarian. First of all, great choice. Mm. Second of all, yeah, try and get that free donut. Why not? I was annoyed, because I think it would have been a fun character-building moment, that we never get to find out what kind of donut Val would have chosen. Mm -hmm. Because the professor fucking interrupted. What do you think she would have chosen? Well, I mean, there's the obvious... uh, I guess she's more Norse than German, so I started to say like there would be the Teutonic connection that she would maybe want a Bavarian cream. Mm. But Val's pretty great, so I think she would go with a maple-glazed French crawler. Because that, that is good. a good fucking donut. What do you think Val would choose? Gosh, I don't know. Now that you bring up the Norse thing, I'm going to say some sort of a jelly donut. Because uh, they have those berries. Oh, like a lingonberry jelly donut? Right. But, yeah. you know, just a jelly donut because it's not... Yeah, they really... probably wouldn't have that in, in uh, New York in the 70s at a donut shop. She might have gone with like a uh, like a, a bar, like a maple bar? maple bar or something because it's sword-shaped. Ah. A lot of possibilities. Mm. And we don't get to find this out because of that jerk professor. Or a crawler. Oh, yeah, crawler. Crawler sounds... I think she would probably go with that. Yeah, and it, you know, would remind her of the movie Crawl, Mm -hmm. which I don't think had come out yet, but I think she would know that it was coming. I really wanted one of those... One of those uh, sharpened aerobies that returns to you? Yep. Yeah, those seem pretty great. I I wanted one of those uh, Wookiee friends. I mean, I know he wasn't technically a Wookiee, but whatever the Wookiee guy in Krull was, he seemed pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie for a very long time. Neither have I. I'm not entirely sure if there's a Wookiee guy in it. (laughs) (laughs) I might be thinking of Ookla the Mock from Thundar the Barbarian. Oh, yeah. He's pretty good. Yeah, if I wasn't, I am now. 
Uklava Mock. I liked, too, that Val was so into seeing a movie and that it was like a magical experience for her. And that was part of why she was so upset at the dude smoking, because you both hear from the caption work how, like, invested in this, like, amazing new experience she is. And also from the panel, you see that there are tears in the corners of her eyes. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really, really cool. Mm -hmm. And I, I liked that. And yeah, we forget sometimes. I think we take for granted that there are these amazing new experiences that she never would have had before. And I thought that was pretty cool. Do you remember as a child your first time on a big screen having your mind blown? I don't. I've heard stories about it. Apparently I was very upset by the uh, whale and Pinocchio. Mm. I've heard stories about you uh, watching Star Wars. Empire Strikes Back. You grabbing the person in front of you? I apparently, I don't remember this at all, but apparently I did grab the head of the person sitting in front. It was in the trash compactor scene Oh, in Empire. Uh, trash compactor scene is in the first one. Well, fuck. <laughs> I mean, that would make more sense because you would be three. It was 1977. If it was 1980, oh. which was when Empire came out. You would have been like six. That's too old to be grabbing the person in front of you's head. Not if you're excited. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. You're right. I don't mean head grab shave you. Yeah, jeez. Well, shit. Okay. I guess it was the the first Star Wars movie. Do you remember the first time that you remember being blown away by a movie and what the movie was? Well, I thought it was Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> so we drove all the way to Boston because it was the theater that had the best speakers. <laughs> that is such a gym move. That's very important to my dad. <laughs> so there were a bunch of little things that happened in this comic that I was pretty impressed by. One of them was during his fight with the Hulk, Namor pulls out some moves that most of Marvel Comics had been trying to pretend had never happened. In early Silver Age appearances of Namor in like the Fantastic Four, for some reason, Stanley decided that, oh, you know what he can do? Anything a fish can do. Including electric stuff. Including electric eel shit. So he busts out some electric eel powers, and that made me so happy. Like, this has been something that they, like, they didn't explain it away. They didn't do a no prize for it. They just kind of collectively decided that, you know what? That's silly. Let's not do that anymore. But I guess David Kraft missed a memo, and I'm so glad he did, because Namor doing cool fish shit is rad. And it is beautifully illustrated. He looks like the monster, the electricity monster at the beginning of the Scooby-Doo cartoon. Mm -hmm. I was worried. I thought some weird extra-dimensional shit was about to go down. I was actually relieved when I found out he was just electric healing. Yeah. If you could have the powers of any sea creature, what, what would you do? Oh my. Uh, I mean, elect electric eel, especially as depicted in comic books and cartoons, pretty good. I think I would I would go with some kind of octopus or cuttlefish stuff. Like where camouflage? Camouflage, but also like being able to be real smart. Ah. Being able to unscrew the lids of jars from the inside out. Being able to Okay, Corey, you can unscrew jars of lids right now. Not if I'm trapped inside the jar, not easily. Has this come up for you before? No. Does it frequently come up? If I'm in a superheroing type situation... It is more likely you would be trapped inside a jar, that is fair. Yeah. And uh, what's the other thing they can do? They can squeeze into 
little tiny tiny places. Anything larger than your nose would be the uh, the rule. Can they regrow parts that get cut off? I don't think so. Shit. Because that would be cool too. That would be pretty cool. If we're going for a superhero context, I would probably go with uh, like pistol shrimps. Like they make like this sonic boom that is just like oh those rainbow amazing. rainbow colored guys. Yeah, like pistol shrimps, pretty great. Or I guess manatee. Uh, so that I could convince sailors I was a beautiful mermaid. <laughs> Man, that I've never quite got my head around because I've seen seen both manatees, things. seen mermaids, not mermaids, but just you know, ladies. Sure, they don't. Not a ton of similarities. Go together. No. In appearance. That Well, that's the manatee's superpower, I suppose. They have the power to cloud men's minds, if those men have been drinking salt water. <laughs> and not eating oranges. Yeah. Have double rations of rum. I mean, that's a pretty easy mind to cloud. Mm. It's not really Lamont Cranston level type shit. Oh, the shadow. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that'd be pretty good power. Yeah, camouflage be pretty good. Um, ooh. What about the fish with the dealy bobber that glows? Oh, an angler fish? Sure. I mean, yeah, not really useful, but pretty cool looking. Be pretty cool. Or just like, have like just a big glowing thing growing out of your forehead, like when you drop your keys outside and it's dark out. Right. Well, isn't it like a thing that's supposed to look like another smaller fish? I think so. So, if we had that, would it just be like there would be like a little glowing dude growing out of our forehead? <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, yeah, then I definitely want that one. <laughs> but I'm I'm glad Goofy Silver Age nonsense was back in this issue. That was a lot of fun. It also underscored how badass and tough the Hulk is. Yeah, he just shrugs that shit off. Like, it is this climactic moment where it was like Namor pulling out, I've got this ace in my hole. Um, <laughs> um, I've got this ace up my sleeve. <laughs> sleeves so yeah i'm gonna stick with i've got this ace in my hole all right and the hoax reaction is just like yeah that's dumb yeah your trick is stupid that's fish yeah man. and then he just backhands him pretty satisfying yeah i was i gotta say rooting for the hulk in in that whole fight because namor was just so i like it when he's rude to other people i don't so much <laughs> like it when he's rude to the hulk i think it was very in character and, and i appreciate that that choice was made with him I did think it was funny at the very end of the issue when he's basically just about to kill Nighthawk and Nighthawk is like, wait, wait, maybe the Defenders can help you out. And Namor's just like, Defenders? Oh shit, that's right! I did used to be in a team called the Defenders. I forgot all about that. Mm -hmm. That was a while ago. I thought that was hilarious, especially given the way that we've seen time compression work in this comic book, that was maybe two weeks ago. <laughs> and also, every time he quits, he tends to, like, it doesn't, it's not always a nice parting. He's like, fuck this shit, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you'd remember that. Come on. I think he's probably less inclined to remember that because I think, fuck this shit, I'm out of here, I'm the greatest and you guys all suck, is his version of, okay, see ya. Yeah, he's just Namoring. Like, that's how he leaves every room. Just Namoring it up. He's probably tried out different things, and they're just not him. Like, you know, sometimes people will try signing their emails with the word cheers. Mm. You know? Mm. And and then will someone just be like, no, that, that's not quite right. I think he probably tried saying, like, bye guys, see you later. And he's like, "That it's just not me. 
And so he signs all of his emails now by saying, Fuck you guys, I'm out of here. I'm so much better than you. Imperious Rex! Should we meet again, it will be to your physical detriment. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah, that's gonna... He's gonna need like a P.S. See you Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) That's gonna take so long to type. Well, I'm sure he's got it like saved as a uh, as a like a stamp, Mm -hmm. or he may just have an actual rubber stamp that says that. Yeah, he's probably not emailing back in the seventies. Yeah, no, he he's probably still not emailing. I bet his problem with doing emails because he's a pretty like serious and dramatic guy, and I think his problem with sending emails probably is that trying to seal the computer with wax every time, Mm. like dripping hot wax on the computer scene and putting his royal sigil on it, and then just yelling, SEND! One of the other things that we learn in this issue is that Jack Norris has decided to accept the job with S.H.I.E.L.D. I feel so conflicted about that. Bad job, Nick Fury. That's how I feel about it. Terrible job, Nick Fury. The reason that I feel conflicted about it is because I'm happy it means he won't be around the Defenders as much. But it does mean he's taking his assholery to a bigger stage and will have likely more impact on the world. No, 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 no. Because, as you surmised last time, I think it was, or the time before last, that he's being sent as an example of how to do a bad job, but they're not going to tell him. Yeah, they'll just use him for training videos. Yeah, like, but he's going to think, like, he's around. like, I work for S.H.I.E.L.D., I do a good, good job. <laughs> <laughs> That's a best-case scenario. I am worried that it will be a situation like, I remember my grandparents used to live in this town called Wolfboro, mm. and there was a local politician that sucked that everybody hated, and then he ran for Congress one year, and there was locally a movement to get him elected to Congress so that he would be out of the town. Like, I don't remember the dude's name, but it was essentially there was a, like, a campaign of elect Bob Smith to Congress, get him out of Wolfboro. Oh, my. And I'm sad that those are kind of my feelings towards Jack Norris getting a a high-level government job. So, yeah, he could potentially have a larger negative impact, but he's a little bit out of sight. Yeah. Mm. He's the world's problem now. Yeah, that's okay. He won't make it far. No, I wouldn't think so. I think like the sixth or seventh time he busts into Nick Fury's office and yells, where's my wife? Mm. Nick Fury's going to just be like, I don't know. Yeah. And I I said like six or seven times that happening. So he'll be gone by his first afternoon. (laughs) His spy crafting is poor. So you mentioned Imperious Rex. Mm-hmm. I had to look that up because I didn't know. That's his catchphrase. What? It, yeah, I didn't. I'm not as much of a Namor scholar as you, and I didn't know that was his catchphrase. And uh, after some googling, it turns out that is a little bit made up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically sounds like it means I'm a great king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of what it means. Yeah, I think having that be his catchphrase is very much in character. And uh, I like the idea of him just yelling, I'm a great king! Mm -hmm. Or a powerful king or Mm -hmm. something. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty great. What do you think Hellcat said to the Hulk that made him go from wanting to kill Namor to saying, Hulk is sorry? Man, I don't know, but good job, Hellcat. Man, she did a great job with that. What do you think she said? I don't know, man. Probably keep it simple, right? Fishman is your friend. Okay, Fishman is your friend. Atlantis is full of beans. Uh, and he's the king. Hulk likes beans. Hulk does like beans. 
<laughs> Hulk likes beans. <laughs> there was also a fun little, like, Green Hornet reference in this. Hmm. Where Kyle's car that he's driving, that he crashes for some reason into a parking meter. That's why he said about the Bruce Lee. Yeah. Yeah, a bystander, as he crashes into it, says, If Bruce Lee pops out of that vehicle, I'm out of here. Because you'll see it's a green car that he's driving. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure that out. I Yeah, and Bruce Lee played Kato in the Green yeah, Hornet TV all show. makes sense now. Yeah, and nobody cares if Van Johnson jumps out of that car. Was oh, that the guy that played the Hornet? Mm-hmm. Ah. He was an interesting guy, too. Don't know anything about him. Was in a ton of war films in the in the 40s and 50s and then played the Green Hornet. Mm. And yeah, there's a ton of interesting stuff about that. But if you'd like to learn more about Van Johnson, visit your local library. Dogs agree. Libraries are pretty great. Mm-hmm. So are vans. Is there anything else you want to bring up? Yeah, one last little tiny thing. Who the fuck put Nighthawk in charge of the Defenders? Is that something that happened? It was a self-appointed position. I'm assuming that what happened was he was like, well, I'm the only rich white guy left on the team since Steve quit, so I'm the leader. Oh, that's right. We probably chatted about that. It could also just be a fact that he's like, my headquarters, my rules. Like the kind of thing where, like, if you show up at the playground with the basketball, then you get to play. Mm. Yeah, okay, that rubbed me the wrong way but in spite of that i did enjoy his banter with hellcat when she was like whoa i'm not sure we should try and break this fight up and he's like convince me not to convince me not to he has a panicked look on his face and say talk me out of this talk me out of this yeah it was a pretty cute interaction it was really cute i i enjoyed that i also liked when hellcat told him hey you'd look cuter if you smiled Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, zing. Yeah. I was like, I'm sure he has said that to her. And he just plays along with it. But I was like, ah, damn it, Kyle. You missed that one. Like, that was her giving you some of your own medicine. And you were just like, hmm, she likes me. (laughs) Idiot. (laughs) Yeah, stupid idiot. (laughs) You ready to get into the minutia? Let's see. Just about. Oh, look at you pacing yourself with your beer. This episode is brought to you by Ecliptic Brewing, Phaser Hazy IPA, and it is good. So on a scale of why not to it's good, you rated a it's good? Oh yeah. Nice. Yep. Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what category would you like to start with? Oh, man. Let's talk about sound effects. Okay. What were your favorite sound effects? There were a lot to choose from. There were a lot to choose from. So, I guess excluding, like, the entire awesome epic fight scene that takes place on page 22. Why would you exclude that? Because I don't want to pick a favorite. Okay. Out of those. Um, I think my favorite was from one of the beginning fight scenes with Hulk and Namor. And I think it's the initial thing where Hulk comes up. He's like, oh, buddy, it's so good to see you. And Namor's like, fuck you, you child. And then that makes Hulk mad. And he, he just backhands him into a van. Uh-huh. And it makes the noise, scrang, which you can just imagine, like, seeing that in a movie or something, right? Mm-hmm. It's the it's metal tearing and twisting. and Yeah, there's a collection of consonants in there that just sounds like metal having horrible things done to it. Mm-hmm. That is pretty good. There was one that I really liked that was on page seven, which was Kasplack! 
mm. which is a pretty decent impact noise. But there were three of them on a single page that are a trio that are tied for my favorites. It is from the Namor Hulk fight, and it is Blom, Bark, Splamp, <laughs> Blom, Bark, Splamp. Splamp sounds like the noise that it makes when you've opened a can of, I don't know, wet dog food and turned it upside down and it finally Splamp. all releases at once. Oh, man. Is that name we're hitting the water part at the end of the crash? No, it is the Hulk being tossed into a building. Huh. It's a very wet noise for a building. There's a lot, like Blom, I, I would assume. It looks like it is... Namor getting punched in the tummy, so maybe he pooped himself because that's what <laughs> that's what that noise sounds like to me. <laughs> and then Bach, we've been over that before. That's the noise that Morris Day makes after he asks he's so Prince, mean to the "How's prince. the family?" <laughs> what he's such a jerk in that movie. I guess that's not really a Bach. That's more of a Bach. Still, both chicken noises. Corey, sartorially speaking, what elements of fashion in this issue did you feel were worthy of note? Oh, man, I forgot what our yellow and purple... What is the... Jerk hole? Something. Yellow and purple. Big stupid jerk hole. Okay. So, yellow and purple, the robe that... Is, is Sergei the name of this Yeah. Dude? Okay. And it's his project. The keyboard playing project manager from Russia, Sergei, has what is... Something like a cross between, like, a clown uniform and a judge's robe? Yeah. I don't know how to describe it, but it is, it is a unique look. I think it's supposed to be, like, a play on a radiation suit, maybe? Or, like, a 1950s or 60s-style house dress? Yeah. It, it looks a little bit astronaut around the collar and cuffs. Oh, but, it's like uh, a Snuggie. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's just, this is where the idea for Snuggies You'd think it would be warm that far underground because you're closer to the molten core of the earth that's made out of molten nickel. Yeah. But I guess not. Nope. Live and learn. Gotta wear a Snuggie. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting outfit. I also thought Professor Turk's outfit of the turtleneck and blazer was actually pretty dapper. It's unfortunate that the effect is ruined by a shitty, shitty little beard. Mm-hmm. He's got a weird, crooked, he's got a, goatee. He's got a Dr. Light. He's got a Dr. Light ruining what otherwise is... Very professorial. I am a fan. I, uh, that God, was... I hate Dr. Light. Sorry. Yeah, oh no, he's terrible. What a, what a fucking creep. I used to wear a turtleneck and a blazer uh, when I was, like, in middle school. That was, like, my, like, slightly dressed up go-to. There's a bunch of pictures of me at, like, family reunions and stuff where, like, my cousins are wearing suits and I'm wearing a turtleneck and a blazer. I thought you had a vest. That was later on. Oh, okay. That was later middle school. This is early middle school. <laughs> I went through a lot of phases. It's a time of change. It's a time of experimentation. Yeah, what you goes really with this just, turtleneck? You're getting to know your body and whether it should wear a turtleneck or a vest. Yeah. Yeah, I, I experimented with turtlenecks also, but I was older, like high school. Yeah, and I mean, I did it responsibly. Oh, good. Yeah. I wore a blazer. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Yeah. But yeah, as I said, it's ruined by the shitty Dr. Light. It is. Fuck that guy. I think my favorite, though, is the civilian duds that Nighthawk and Hellcat have. And they look like a total, like, 70s, out-on-the-town, 
Power couple. Power couple taking a break from our office jobs for lunch. Yeah, I enjoyed those as well. Kyle's wearing a tan suit, and Patty's wearing a red skirt with a yellow striped shirt and a green purse. She looks rad. I also really like Namor wearing his king cloak. I think it's a cool look. I like the idea of, it's going to be chilly out there. You'd better wear something warm. He's like, fine, but I'm not putting on a shirt or pants. Mm -hmm. I'll put this giant high-collared cape on, but I'm still just wearing my underpants. Imperious Rex! Corey, what was your pie not made out of steel in this issue? What words did you enjoy the most, much like you would enjoy a pie, were it not made out of steel? Yeah, some of my favorite words came from uh, a bit of prose on page six. Uh, We talked a little bit about the crazy psychedelia of... Sergei's headquarters Mm -hmm. and so there's a bunch of exposition bringing us into that environment it is a vast maze of structural sophistication designed with a lyrical sensitivity belying its grim technological purpose whoa that's a good good bunch of words that is a nice turn of phrase i had a similarly uh dense and multi-syllabic piece of prose which was Talk me out of it! Talk me out of it! I did enjoy that, too. I I just loved... I loved that idea of Nighthawk saying that. Um, The execution, it just cracked me up. It was was my favorite phrase in the book. In every issue of a Defenders comic, there is one character who acts in a way counter to their previously established character or motivation, in a way that furthers the plot. To paraphrase the Fat Boys from Crush Groove, they've just got to be a sucker. In this issue, who was your sucker? In this issue, my sucker was Kyle Richmond, because he realized that without his jetpack, him going out to try and break up the fight between Hulk and Namor just makes him like an eccentric weirdo wearing a costume. Yeah. And I, I know we had a little <laughs> bit of debate previously about like his level of self-reflection and whether or not that was in character um after scorpio's death and uh, i can see both sides of that but this really did strike me as him being remarkably self-aware that he's just like yeah i'm a weird like rich dude and i am doing this as a hobby unless it's at night in which case he is two two rich dudes (laughs) that's the strength of (laughs) two eccentric rich dudes yep I also had Nighthawk, but for different reasons. Uh, I had Nighthawk because he seemed concerned about the expenses that his company was outputting. That's true. His insurance is going up. He's worried about his insurance going up. When Patsy first walks into his office, first of all, he's in his office. That's very out of character for him. He's saying, like, Ringer's damages are going to cost his insurance premiums to go up. And later he's worried about justifying the wrecked car to his accountants. And saying that he'd rather face the Hulk than his accountants. Mm -hmm. This kind of, not even fiscal responsibility, but fiscal awareness is so far out of his character that I found it very jarring. Yeah, I guess gone are the days of purchasing adamantium chairs. Yeah, which we I think we ended up pricing out at about $3 billion, (laughs) something like that. Purchased on a whim. What a stupid thing to make a chair out of. It really, it seems like it would be so unpleasant to sit in. Especially for the Hulk. Hulk can sit in a fucking Barca lounger. He would love it. Mm -hmm. It's great. Barca loungers are quality chairs. Barca lounger, if you're listening and you would like us to sit in a quality chair, send us a chair. Two. Two chairs. Yeah, we don't want to share a chair. (laughs) So Barca lounger, 
It's a nice reputation for comfortable furniture you got there. Be a shame if anything were to happen to it. You wouldn't want us bad-mouthing your chairs, would you? Let me give you a little sample. I'm not saying that this is the case with a Barka-lounger. But I could say Barka-lounger. More like Barfa-lounger. Your sales would plummet. To be clear, I'm not saying that. But I could. Send us your chairs. Two. Corey, in this issue 52 of The Defenders, mm. who was the best defender and who was the worst offender? Oh, you're not going to like this. This was super weird for me to make these choices, too. For the best offender in this issue, I had Nighthawk because he defuses the situation, of course, with the help of Hellcat, where he defuses the, the fight between Namor and uh, the Hulk, and he presents Namor with the solution to his nuclear problems. Which is throw the Hulk at it. Which is throw the Hulk at it. And, conversely, Namor is the worst because he did nothing but just basically cause a fight and he was mean to the Hulk. And he was trying to beat up on the very character that was the solution potentially to his kingdom's problems. I also had Namor as the worst offender in this issue. What? I know. I love Namor. And I loved the way he acted in this, but he was being such a dick. He really was. It was in character, but yes, it was all, it was ineffective and very high-handed, and he really was the worst in this issue. For the best defender, I had a difficult time choosing. I was between Valkyrie and Hellcat. Mm. I think they both did a great job. Whatever Hellcat said to the Hulk really just chilled him out almost instantly. Probably telling him how many beans Namor has, and mm -hmm. that it's a lot. But quick thinking on her part, and she just did a great job. And also was willing to leap into the fray between these two powerhouses. I mean, yes, Nighthawk did too, but uh, I like Hellcat better. That is fair. And Valkyrie, who I think I'm going to give the slight edge to, she also did great. She stood up for herself. She broke the jerkwad with the Dr. Light facial hair's pipe. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And she also did a subtle move that I really, really appreciated, where she accepted an apology that was not offered. That was. And I think that is such a fun power play. And I was like, good for you, Valkyrie. Yeah, fuck that guy. Because th this professor, it seemed like it was just like, I was just being a dick to you as a test. And you passed by crushing my pipe. Well done, young lady. And to that, she was basically just like, I accept your apology. Yeah, well played. Yeah, well played, Valkyrie. Also, uh, you know, you're about to get a free donut. So, nice job. Mm -hmm. All around. Yeah, that was a really good way to handle that. Where at first I was like, oh, he's being contrite. And then I was like, no, he's trying to, like, reassert his power. And yeah, he she, totally she was. She just, like, smacks it down. Uh-huh. Effectively. Yeah, she did the, the verbal equivalent of the batting away the handshake. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was rad. So yep. Valkyrie was the best defender in my estimation. Mm-hmm. Yep. She pulled the Tompkins. Uh-huh. Good job. What was your favorite panel? I had a toss-up. I really liked the, I think it was a full page one on page uh, 15, where Namor is punching Hulk super hard. Yeah, the Dakum! Mm-hmm. And that's where he's shouting his catchphrase, too. Yeah. That is a really nice one, and the Hulk is looking very... Throughout the fight scene especially, it is a very Kirby-looking the Hulk, which I really appreciated. 
I liked that one too. One of my other favorites was we we have already talked about the uh, the introduction to Sergey's lab is so cool looking. Really, every shot that's in Sergey's lab is so cool looking. But yeah, we've already spent a fair amount of time describing it or trying to, and I'm gonna have to post some pictures of it because. I'm not doing it justice. It looks so cool. It looks like I wanted the play sets that I would put together to look like, mm. like with Capsella or whatever, but they never looked this good. Yep. What was the other one that you had? The other one I had is a little more subtle. It's... Is it the Shadows one? Yeah, it's the Shadows one. I had the same thing. I think that is so cool. It is, yeah, uh, Kyle and Patsy running down the street in their civilian duds, and their shadows are casting their super heroic personas and it's really really cool looking it doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. uh visually why they would be casting those shadows but i love that they are it's fun and dramatic and clever and i really like that too same here and i like that it's a cat and a bird normally enemies yes this time working together indeed but also kind of implying that if she wanted to hellcat could just kind of fucking eat Kyle and drag him into the house to annoy some people. Mm -hmm. Man, I saw a crow try and kill a baby duck. Oh my god. Yeah, in the park the other day. What happened? Uh, I noticed you said try to. Yeah, a guy that was closer to them than us ran up yelling yelling at the crow and waving his arms and scared it away. Well, that's good. Yeah. What what was the duck's parents doing? The duck was lost. I was looking for his parents, so it was like going like, squawk, 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 squawk. And to the crow, that was just like, aha. Oh, man. Food alarm. Crows are jerks, man. I'm of two minds on that because I told you about that crow that was carrying that ham sandwich that one time. Yeah. <laughs> that was super impressive. Okay. My Crows. Be- they're just like people. They like ham sandwiches. And baby ducks. Just in different ways. Mm-hmm. Corey, we both know that the Hulk rules. But in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? The Hulk's rules in this issue are that you should be nice to your friends, Mm. especially even if somebody like is super excited to see you, but you're maybe a little bit lukewarm on it. Don't just push them aside and call them a child. (laughs) Corey, how many times do I have to apologize? (laughs) I'm just saying (laughs) it's the Hulk's rules. Um, You like the Hulk? That's that's fair. I'm sorry. I, I will in the future endeavor to be more like the Hulk and less like Namor in some ways. You put I on think... some shorts already, so that's a good start. Uh-huh. These are intentional jorts, not unintentional jorts, but, you know, baby steps. Yeah. My Hulk's rule for this issue is that the direct approach is not always the most efficient. Hmm. Because we see that Namor is not intending to insult or enrage the Hulk. He's merely very focused. He wants to save his kingdom. He wants to get to the Baxter building to enlist the aid of that fool Richards. But when the Hulk gets in his way, rather than taking a second to stop and explain, hey Hulk, here's what's going on, he is just like, I don't have time for this, and shoves him to the side, which makes it take way more time for him. He would have been at the Baxter building in seconds if he had just taken that few seconds to say, hey Hulk, it's great to see you, I'm in a bit of a rush. And so, from that, we can glean, and the Hulk can glean, that the direct approach is not always the most efficient one. Mm -hmm. And that's the Hulk's rules. Also, get yourself some good jorts, intentional or not. That's not the Hulk's rules. (laughs) That's a suggestion. (laughs) 
It's the Hulk's hints with a Z. <laughs> Corey, what was happening in the right place at the wrong time? Ah, good question. So, in Year of Our Lord, 1977. And the month of Our Lord, October. Doctor Strange found himself in a bit of a conundrum. So earlier, towards the beginning of the month, there was a bestseller book on the market that he thought was a sex book. So, and, you know, he's like, oh, maybe I'll spice things up a little bit with Clea and I'll go get this book down at the bookstore. Is it uh, How to Include Benjamin Franklin in Your Threesome? <laughs> nope. Oh, that's a shame. I don't think he's ever going to be okay <laughs> with that. Well, not without a book, he's not. That's true. Or... He does value book learning. But he misread it. He thought the book was called Your Erogenous Zones. And so he's like, oh, I'm going to get this and then I'll be able to better explain my needs to, to my gal. And uh, But it wasn't. It, it was a self-help book that was a, a bestseller in early October um, called Your Erroneous Zones by Dr. Wayne Dreyer. Corey, we already did that one. <laughs> yep. And I know. Yeah, we talked about it before, but he, he just put that one away. And okay. It was like, okay, okay, that was, I made a mistake. However, he was forced to go back and get the book again because he realized he had given some bad advice to a buddy of his that was a budding mystic whose name was Romar the Psychic. Ooh. And uh, Romar was, you know, he was starting to make some waves in the in the press and gain a bit of a following. And Strange said, Romar, what you need to do is really make a splash on the scene. And so Romar was like, okay, I am going to blindfold myself and drive a car down the street. What? Which he did unsuccessfully because oh. he crashed his car into the back of a police van that was pulled over and had its hazard lights on. <laughs> and uh, things went pretty badly for Omar after that. Strange also felt badly and remembered some snippets from your erroneous zones. At this time, he noticed that Wong also had kind of seemed like he was being a little distant from, from Strange. And uh, so Strange put it together that Wong has never really come to terms with uh, his baldness. Oh. So I need to help him confront his feelings on this. And he thought that there was an educational thing going on, which was the premiere of the musical Hair. Oh. So he got some tickets, and he and Wong went to see Hair. Turned out they had a blast. It's a great musical. It's a great musical. It's maybe the only musical that I can handle. <laughs> So, yeah, they learned about hippies and the, the age of Aquarius and, and all of that and uh, became a lot more kind of politically involved. Um, nice. After that, and we've, we've talked about some of their other political involvement, Wong's relationship with Jimmy Carter and all of that, but that seeing hair with his buddy Doctor Strange was, was one of the, the moments that started to cement his desire to be an activist. Wow, that's, that's really great. Man, when I was a kid, I loved the album Hair. We used to listen to the Broadway cast recording of Hair all the time. Mm. And in retrospect, it must have been really disturbing because I remember singing the songs aloud. There was a song called Sodomy that's on that that I know I used to sing when I was a kid. And I do not know what any of those words meant. But I definitely remember singing that when I was like four or five. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, good party trick. Yeah. Hey, Nathan, come out here and sing that song. Sodomy, fellatio. That's <laughs> uh, a good song. Well, that was one thing that uh, Wong was doing. One of the other things that Wong was up to was 
Ever since the game first rolled out in 74, Wong was a pretty big Dungeons & Dragons fan. He'd been getting together with this group of other Marvel Universe uh, role-playing aficionados. Been hanging out with, uh, you know, Reed Richards and uh, Professor X were some of them. Professor X always wanted to be a dungeon master. He also always played as a barbarian, which I think just, you know, playing against type, which is part of what's fun about that game. But there were a couple of other people that were in on that Dungeons & Dragons game, and Wong had been lately acting as the DM for them. Hmm. Some of the other individuals that were in this game was a friend of theirs named uh, Maurice White, and another fella who, I'm not going to be able to say his name, but he was an executive at Disney. Hmm. And he was able to get Wong an advanced screening ticket to Pete's Dragon, which was scheduled to come out in November of that month. Wong loved it. It's mm. a great movie. Mm. And so he started telling some of the other, uh, some of his other friends about this movie and about this dragon that's in it. One of those people was his Dungeons and Dragons buddy, who, as I mentioned, was Maurice White, who was in the band Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and one time they were, you know, they were hitting the Jamaican incense pretty hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, Maurice was like, tell me the story, Morning Glory. Oh, about the serpentine fire. Which is what they call dragons. Right. And then he's like, oh, that's a good phrase. I should write that down. And that's why later in October he uh, released the song with Earth, Wind, and Fire, Serpentine Fire. Now, initially, Wong had written two other songs for him that were uh, Serpentine Earth and Serpentine Wind. <laughs> it's going to be part of a trilogy. Uh, yeah. But uh, unfortunately, the Disney executive was just like, Wong, you can't be telling all of these stories. Mm -hmm. Morning Glory. And that's what Wong was doing. That is a damn fine song, and I, I believe it was a big hit. It was indeed a big hit. In the year of our Lord, 1977, and the month of our Lord, October. Nice. Well... I reckon it's time to roll up the old comic book tarp and head back to town. Oh, yep. Yeah, we always read these comic books over a large tarp because they're messy. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. This has been A Hoot. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Tumblr or Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Point is, we're all up in the internets. You can also, if you are so inclined, leave us a review on iTunes. Well, it's still around. I understand iTunes is going away. They're doing something with it. I don't understand how it works. Hopefully, it will not affect your ability to find and listen to this podcast. But whatever uh, podcast application you're using to listen, perhaps you are listening on yeah, Stitcher or on Spotify or on uh, Podracer, uh, if you're Anakin Skywalker, then... Uh, you know, go into that application and leave us a review on there, because that's a fun time. Mm -hmm. It's nice. I read them, and then I feel nice about myself. And I'm like, hey, that's great. Thanks, guys. If you would like to donate monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. And if you do, you get access to a bunch of uh, bonus material, including the monthly podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show, which I uh, co-host with my wife, Lisa. It's a good time. I think you would enjoy it. So give us some money and find out. Oh, there's also this thing. Here's another place you can listen to podcasts. I think it's called Overcast. 
something like that. But it's a podcast app, but one of the features on it is that you can choose a like minute long section of audio from a podcast and share it on various social media things. So if you listen to the show on that, if you want to post one of your favorite sections of the show, I think that would be fun. I would I would like to, to see what you like about the show. What section you think is worthwhile. I mean, don't do this one. That'd be weird and meta. But you know, I guess if that's your favorite, me telling you to do this thing and then you doing the thing. Oh, it just makes my head hurt thinking about it. Choose a different part. Thanks so much for listening. Corey is going to be traveling, as we mentioned at the beginning, soon. So we're going to try to make there not be an interruption in your podcasts. But if there is, we're sorry and we're doing our best. And we love you very much. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to say, Corey? No, I think that, that covers it. Okay. Well, time to roll up the old comic book tarp and head back to town. Bye! Thank you. Bye. And they knew it. Phaser, hazy IPA. It's better than ripping your balls off with a sweater (laughs) depoing machine. Wait, he didn't rip his balls off. I'm sorry. It's better than ripping all of the hairs on your balls off with a sweater depoing machine. It is so much better than that. (laughs) Swing by Barcelona? Not this time. Well, you could. I'm just saying. Yeah. It's a fun place to say. It is. There's a lot of, a lot of th- 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 mm-hmm, sounds. Mm-hmm. It's of course named after uh, Barth, the chef from You Can't Do That on Television. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he founded the whole region. Oh wow. That's why. Yeah, Barcelona. <laughs> uh, that's why you will see on their like on their city motto. It says on the gates above the city. I heard that. Oh man. So- the